Hello and welcome to another episode of The Zach Hiley Show. Today I have the honor of being with Dr. Eisenberg. So, Dr. Eisenberg is a professor of surgery here at SKMC and the vice chair of surgical education here at Jefferson as well. He is specialized in colorectal surgery. He went to medical school at Mount Sinai School of Medicine, trained in surgery at Lenox Hill Hospital, and completed his colorectal surgery fellowship at Thomas Jefferson University. He's the editor-in-chief for ACS Case Reviews in Surgery, the immediate past president of the Thomas Jefferson University medical staff, the immediate past chair of the colorectal RC of ACGME, and the past VP of ASCRS. He's a widely loved teacher and leader here at Jefferson. I personally had an amazing experience working under him as a medical student and his team here at Jefferson just because of how amazing his team works together. And he actually made the decision of internal medicine versus surgery a really really tough one for me. He has won multiple teaching awards including the Dean's Career Educator Award in 2020. Welcome Dr. Eisenberg. Thank you. Great to be here, Zach. Thank you so much for coming. So the way these things usually work, I'll read some stats. There weren't that many for colorectal surgery, but I'll just read them off. And then we'll go straight into you telling us more about what this specialty is. So the only two stats I have are salary and step two score. So the average, so not the average, sorry, the median attending physician salary across the U.S. is 339000 while the colorectal surgery median salary I found on the internet was 361000 The step two score averaged 246, colorectal score, colorectal surgery step two score being 246 as well. Okay. So what is colorectal surgery? So colorectal surgery is the best field to go into. <laughs> the great way to start. Um, it's a, an area of specialization after you do a general surgical residency for five or six years. And it specializes in diseases of the colon, rectum, and anus, and a little bit of the small intestine as well. Yeah. We take care of anything from little things like a hemorrhoid to big things like a large distal rectal cancer uh, where we have to take out the rectum and build a new one, or someone who has ulcerative colitis and we have to take out the whole colon and rectum and make a, a pouch, a J pouch, and so that they can go to the bathroom the normal way. Wow, wow. And I didn't know anything, honestly, about colorectal surgery until my third year of medical school when I had the honor of being under you guys. How did you get interested in colorectal surgery? So my interest uh, really began during my surgical residency. Mm -hmm. And I was exposed to a group of colorectal surgeons. There were three of them at Lenox Hill. And uh, they seemed to be happier than everyone else. And that was kind of part of what attracted me to it. And I liked the idea of specializing in a, one area where I felt I could know everything about that area, as opposed to in general surgery where you might be doing a thyroid one day, a breast surgery the next day, a gallbladder the next day. And that, that didn't appeal to me. I wanted to to really know everything about one smaller area. So that combined with the fact that these guys were just more fun than everyone else. <laughs> and uh, I liked other things about the specialty. Um, even back then, you did anorectal surgery one day, you did scopes the next day, you did big cases the next day. So it was very varied in terms of your life in medicine. Um, and I liked the idea that in the office, uh, you got to see patients over and over again. So even if they just had hemorrhoids, you might see them every few months. Or if they had a colon cancer, you'd see them every few months, every few years. And I like building up that rapport with the patients. So that, that's a little bit different than some of the other surgical specialties. Mm. How are they different than the other surgical Well, so, like the other surgical specialties, you could 
take out someone's appendix and then say, all right, come back when your gallbladder is bothering you. Mm. So you don't necessarily have that con continuity of care. Yeah. And I want to, sometimes we go off the book here a little bit. That's fine. So, so some, I remember when I was talking to you, well, actually while you were doing a colonoscopy one day, you told me how you first got interested in medicine and you first kind of got interested in surgery. I was wondering if you remember that story you told me and you could tell me, I think you were shadowing some doctors and you're like, we're going to the hospital and you thought it was the coolest thing ever. Do you remember that? Well, I remember it a little differently. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which one of us wasn't yeah. <laughs> there that day, but um, I think for me, I really became interested in, in surgery when I was a little boy. Yeah. Um, I had my tonsils out when I was five. So that started the interest. My, uh. my dad was a PhD microbiologist and um, he would take me to the lab, which was inside the hospital frequently. So I kind of was, this is cool, you know, what's <laughs> going on here? And then um, I really became interested in, not just in medicine, but in surgery. I had a unique opportunity to be a scrub tech, um, really in high school and college. So I did it for six summers. And that was, that still is the best job I ever had. A scrub tech? Scrub tech. What is a scrub tech for the people who don't know? What so, a scrub, so tech scrub tech is. is someone who hands the instruments during surgery. So it's really neat. It's it's interesting. It's exciting. You know, when you get good at it, you can anticipate what the surgeon needs. Um, but the difference is between that and being a surgeon: is you go home and you don't have to worry about the patients. I so see. you were done for the day, and that lack of stress is. Phenomenal. So what made you decide from being a scrub tech then, if this job was so amazing, to go into medical school and go into surgery? Well, because I wanted to be a surgeon. You wanted to be a surgeon. <laughs> I see. It. Um, and then, so during medical school, did you know surgery all the way through? Surgery, surgery, surgery. I knew all the way through, yeah. except for when I did OB. Uh, and I thought on that rotation that I might change my mind. So one weekend I had to sit down with myself and really think about it. And I decided that, well, what was it about OB that really got me excited? And it was the, the joy of babies coming into the world. Mm -hmm. And I thought that, I don't know what number it would take, but it might be 500 or 1,000 deliveries. And then i probably start looking forward to the more difficult deliveries. Mm -hmm. And that didn't really interest me. So I went back to surgery. Went back to surgery. So it was a kind of a two weeks of, of decision and then went right back to surgery. Yeah. And... What was the, so you said kind of the counterpoints towards uh, OBGYN. What were the positive points towards surgery before you were a resident? Was it like, I really want to be in the OR? Was it you were interested in kind of more complicated things and using your hands? Do you have any specific reasons of why surgery kind of called out to you? I mean, I definitely liked using my hands yeah. and having been a scrub tech and seeing the operating room. And it, I mean, it was just a cool place to be, you know, and then also the ability to go in and take care of a problem and you fix that person within a few hours usually. So it wasn't that you're waiting for a medicine to take effect. It's like you have a problem, you go in, you operate on them, they leave the operating room, they're better. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. So that that that's was a, appealing to me. That's a good reason. And so you go through medical school and now you're in residency. Now you're a general surgery resident. What is that like? It's hard. Yeah. I mean, it, it's gotten a little bit easier just for, for everyone in every specialty because of the work hours which are definitely necessary. But, um, you know, I worked longer hours, as all my colleagues did at that time. And there was something to that. You know, if your guys were working eight hours of work, we were working 100, 120 hours a week. 
And if you think about it, while we were exhausted in surgery, I was doing more operations. So I got exposed to things, and I also got to follow patients for a little bit longer. Like I would start on a Saturday morning on call, and I left Monday evening. So that's, that's tiring, but um, you followed a disease process for a few days. Yeah. That, that was important. That's a long time, though. It is. That's crazy. And <laughs> then, so you said, was it at a certain year that colorectal surgery kind of called out to you? You know, it was probably mid-residency. Mid-residency. Where I, I had rotated with these colorectal surgeons, and I kind of liked what I saw. Yeah. And um, there, too, I had to make a decision in general surgery, because I also liked uh, thoracic surgery. Mm. Um, and just as it is today, you really have to do a cardiothoracic residency. And the heart part of it didn't really appeal to me as much, I, mainly because of my personality. Um, I thought that my heart couldn't take stopping someone else's heart <laughs> every day and, and praying that it came back. Yeah. So I just said, I can't do that. I can't. It was too, that was too stressful. That, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and then fellowship. So then you go through residency and you're on to fellowship. Is fellowship easier? Is it harder? What is what is it compared to general residency, general surgery? It's it's probably a little bit easier than general okay. surgical residency, but you're still working hard. Yeah. You know, but you're you know, you're now past the residency point. You know, you're you have residents underneath you, you know, mm -hmm. doing some of the lesser things and you're doing finally the thing that you decided you want to do. Yeah. So that's you know, that's a great opportunity. Yeah. And so you, the year goes by very fast. It's a one-year fellowship. Yeah. And it, it flies by. Wow. And then you're an attending. What is that like? At the beginning, being an attending from fellowship, is it a is it a complete shock? Is it, again, compa work compared to general residency, general sorority residency, the fellowship, and then being attending? Is it more work? Is it less work? Is it more scary? Because now it's responsibilities on you? or? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's... In the beginning, it's less work because you're yeah. not as busy. Yeah. I mean, eventually it becomes more work, but uh. in the beginning, it's less work. And it is scary because, you know, the day before you had other people that were, you know, responsible for everything, mm -hmm. and now you're responsible. I mean, I still remember it where I was rounding on the patient one day as the fellow, and the next day I said, I'm the attending. <laughs> <laughs> they were looking at me like, what just happened? <laughs> and I'm looking like that. Wait, the same patient? Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> and I'm looking like that. I don't know what just happened, <laughs> but I'm in charge now. So so that's how, really how it works. You're one week, you're a fellow, and then I guess you were applying for jobs and you were accepted to Jefferson. Yeah. And then the next week, they're like, you're instated as an attending. Right. Here's your patient list. And you're like, wait a second. <laughs> well, and the person I happened to be working with, who was the, the chief at that point, he he was away at the time. Uh -huh. So it was even worse. Like oh, I, no. I was in charge in charge. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. So that's that's insane. That's cool, though. But you're prepared. Yeah. You know, you may not think you're prepared, but you're, you know, your, your training has prepared you to, to really deal with almost any situation. Yeah. Yeah. And how... Do you think you've changed as an attending from the beginning? Obviously, you've become technically more skilled, uh, hopefully as a leader, more skilled as well. Is there anything else that you think's really changed for you? Or, and this could be advice to other people who are just starting out their careers and attendings. Anything that changed from kind of that first week when you had the same patient who, was a fellow, who you had as a fellow to kind of now when you've been in your career for a decent amount of time? I mean, you gain confidence. Yeah. You know, you know that pretty much anything you're going to see, you're going to know how to handle. Yeah. So I think that's that's probably the the main difference. Confidence. Um, but surgery is still very humbling. 
know, you can know what you're doing and do the same thing every time, and yet the outcomes are not always positive. Mm. Mm. Now that's that's really interesting. And what is it like now? So so so, what is an average day for you right now? So maybe we should just go through an average week. Yeah, because let's do it, a week. It, it changes. Yeah. Um, so right now I'll do um, on Mondays I'll do scopes in the morning. Yep. And then I'll see patients in the afternoon. Got it. On Tuesdays, I'm doing scopes all day. Wednesday mornings, I'm doing small cases in the surgery center, like hemorrhoidectomies, anal fistulas, things yeah. like that. On the afternoon, I'm seeing patients. Thursday morning, I'm, I'm doing scopes again and then seeing patients in the afternoon. Friday mornings, I'm seeing patients, and then I have an academic afternoon to do whatever I need to do. Now, that's just changed for me recently. Mm. I'm towards the latter part of my career, so I'm giving up my major abdominal surgeries. So I'm just doing smaller cases right now. Yeah. Um, but previously, I would spend a whole day in the operating room. Like wow. Monday would be the OR day where I do two major abdominal cases. How long are those days when you're in the OR? Each case is about three to four hours. Mm-hmm. Can cases go longer? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you get used to it. That's yeah. what building up the stamina is about. Yeah. And why are you stepping away from the, the OR? I just think that it's it's time for me to not do the larger cases anymore. Yeah. We have younger, very skilled surgeons, some of them who I've trained, mm-hmm. and uh, it's time for them to shine. Yeah, uh, We're doing a lot more robotic surgery, which I started out doing and just was hard for me to, to learn how to do, so I decided to let the younger people continue with that. Yeah. Okay, the big question. You ready? I'm ready. If I gave you $100 million today, tax-free, it's in your account. I, you Wait, What do you mean, if? If. I, I thought you <laughs> were giving that's me that. That's the payment, yeah. So, oh. so I say that now, but then at the end of the podcast, I'll say it's a joke, okay. but don't, okay. you don't know that. Okay. okay so so when, <laughs> I give you a hun- when I give you $100 million, you can either A, continue working full-time, B, change to part-time, C, switch careers entirely and become a professional bowler, D, quit and go live on a beach somewhere or do whatever. I think I would go on part-time. Part-time. And kind of balance the part-time work with um, clinical work and with education work. Yeah, education work. Where, where does this passion from teaching, and because you're great at it, and you've won awards for it. It's not just me saying it here. There's, there's objective evidence here, and there's also, you know, subjective anecdotal evidence. Where does this come from, this passion for teaching? That's an interesting question, because um, I think it started when I was in medical school. Yeah. And my first two years were terrible. <laughs> Why were they terrible? They were terrible because all it was is here's a ton of information, memorize it, and you'll get correlations in your next two years. Mm. And I saw that was bad. Mm. And I I was having a hard time memorizing all that information with it not correlating. So I created my own elective in my first year where I went on rounds, surgical rounds early in the morning. You created your own elective? Yeah. How do you do that? I went to my student affairs dean and I said, I'm miserable and I got to I gotta see why I'm doing this. So I said, I need some clinical exposure now. So I was able to go on rounds and I saw, oh, wait, some of this stuff that I'm learning really has to do with what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And so that terrible experience, the first two years, I said, there has to be a better way. And I was lucky enough to get involved in education uh, at Jefferson and some innovative curricular ideas that I had, and the rest is history. Wow. So these curricular changes, so 
What curricular changes did you make or start at SKMC? So I was very involved uh, many years ago with problem-based learning. Mm. And I originally, when they brought it to, to SKMC, it was for the basic science years. Mm. And I took a course how to, how to do problem-based learning. It was like a three-day course. And um, I said, well, this is good for basic science. It's not great. It's good. It's even better for clinical medicine. Like, this is a great way to learn. Let's do that. So um, I started doing problem-based learning in surgery rotations. Mm. And it was really exciting. Um, number one, I was able to distill down the three-day course to a one-hour, how do you teach problem-based learning? Because mm. I didn't need all the education background. It was good, and, and I gave them references to read about if they were interested, but it was, it was just, this is how you do it. And then I actually taught it not only to the surgery department, but to other departments. And we started doing problem-based learning questions and problems and for the students, and it was a, a great experience. Wow. The first two years or year and a half is a case-based learning type of experience. Yeah. And it's the best way to learn this stuff because you have something to, to hang on to. You know, it's yeah. not, just a, not just the Krebs cycle. It's, you know, it's a diabetic patient. This is what's going on, and that's why you need to know it. No, I loved it. I'm, I'm just thinking back to my first two years of med school. I, I didn't have as bad experience as you, but I think that's probably thankful to you. I mean, I remember we'd been, I remember, I still remember the first case they gave us. It was a, it was someone's arm looked like, I don't know what happened. And we all joke about it to this day, a brown recluse spider bite. We joke about it to this day, but it was cool. I remember I was like, wait a second, I'm doing real doctor stuff here right now yeah. and, and in medical school. Yeah. I was like, this is awesome. And then, of course, it's a big change in third year of medical school when you actually get to do it. But they also gave us these opportunities now to go into the hospital, wear the white coat, even though we really didn't know what we're doing in the white coat, and just talk to people, talk to patients, even if it's only asking social determinants of health or something like this. It was a great, it was a well, great time. Well, my dream still has not been realized is that when you have the white coat ceremony and they yeah. put that on the first day that you the entire class marches then to a series of offices that first day you go into an office and you start being a doctor and that's what you need to do because that's what the vast majority of you're doing for the rest of your life i don't know if i'd be able to talk at that point i'd just be like the whole time but i remember i do remember the first knocking on the door it's kind of like throw you to the fire okay colorectal surgery what is the best thing about being a colorectal surgeon? Well, how many people get paid to play with poop? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously. <laughs> it's a dream job. <laughs> so That's amazing. It is amazing. It wouldn't it make it, it makes you I guess at the second part of the procedure you don't it does you don't have to be sterile anymore, right? For no, certain things, that's right? right? So you just can, you know. Oh, I mean, and you're the leader at this point too. So you can you tell them what to do. That's it. But it's really for me. It's, I mean, the best thing is the variety of the things that I do. Yeah. Each day is a little bit different, um, and it's interesting. You know, yeah. and and people, people with colorectal problems really need your help. Uh, often they're in pain, even from just a little problem, and you can impact them greatly, mm. uh, and not with too much effort. Yeah. And the the because when I again 
one of the reasons I'm doing this whole podcast is when I first thought of surgeons, I didn't know colorectal surgeon even existed. But even when I was thought of surgeon, I thought, you know, they're in the operating room five days a week. It's just what they do. They wear it, put on their scrubs, and they go cut things. I thought that's what they did. But you're in the clinic um, three days a week, possibly. You're doing. You're in the OR maybe only one day a week, and then the outpatient or academic kind of the other day a week. Uh, are there any other ways colorectal surgeons split up their weeks, or is that kind of the week that most colorectal surgeons have? I mean. It's the basic, you know, outline is there, yeah. but some may be more involved in the OR. They may have two or three mm-hmm. OR days. They're just busier, you know, abdominal surgeons, and they may not do as many of the smaller procedures. Or some colorectal surgeons don't scope mm. even, so they have more time for being in the OR. But for, for most colorectal surgeons, it's, it's this variety of, of days that they have. I see. Okay. So the counterpoint to what is the best thing about being a colorectal surgeon is, of course, what is the worst thing about being a colorectal surgeon? I think the worst thing may be that people occasionally, especially some older generation people, still think of you as what's called a proctologist, Mm. which really goes back many years where someone did one or two years of general surgery training, and then they just opened up an office and did proctology, Mm. just really anorectal work. Um, and there's nothing wrong with anorectal work, but you know we've put in a lot more time and training and do much larger procedures as well. So uh, that just hurts. Yeah, yeah. And is that the actually, this may have answered my next question here too. What is the most common myth about king of colorectal surgeon? Is, the, is it you're a proctologist? Yeah. I see. Yeah. So it's your but so the, we're we're here to eliminate that myth. They're not proctologists. Spread the word. Spread the word. That's <laughs> what we're going to do. We're going to get rid of this thing. So then when you see, because you've had a lot of medical students, a lot of residents, a lot of fellows under you, say I'm interested in surgery, say I want to become a surgeon, what makes the best, I guess we can attack this at three steps if that's okay, what makes the best medical students, what makes the best residents, and what makes the best fellows? Okay, so the best medical students probably is ask good questions, Yeah. thoughtful questions. It's not. It's not hard in a sense, I mean you have to do some reading, know your patients, and then just ask good questions. Um, you know, and start, I think, really start learning. It's, it's your opportunity to learn how to communicate well, and, and you should take advantage of that because mm. um, you have a little more time than everyone else does. Um, residents, be the best resident. I, in fact, people ask me this when we're interviewing residents. They say, oh, oh what's, the, what's the best resident, Dr. Oh, no. Eisenberg? And I say... Um, I want you to be a firefighter and not an arsonist. Mm. Don't create fires. Don't create problems. Why would you try to create problems? Why would you not get along with another service? Residents like to get into turf battles with other residents. It's silly. What, are the, what do you mean? Well, like they'll argue about you know, how to take care of this patient. Uh. And it becomes an argument instead of like a, an academic discussion. You know, because the day after you finish your residency and you're trying to get a consult from someone, you're going to be so nice to them. <laughs> but the day before you were arguing with them, that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, no. Um, you know, and the best fellow is really just someone who just learns to love the specialty as you do. Yeah. And just dives in for that limited amount of time and learns everything they can. Yeah, that's the interesting, the firefighter as opposed to an arsonist. I've heard something similar. I've also heard... Uh, be a firefighter, not a reporter. You know what I mean? Mm. Not, don't be the person that's saying, I broke this. 
here, attending, I destroyed this. What, what do we do here? Come up with an idea. Come up with a solution. You might be wrong. You're, and in all likelihood, as a trainee, as a medical student, you're going to be wrong. But I think if you come in, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think if you come in showing the idea, showing that you want to solve the problem, showing that you've done a little bit of work beyond just like saying, this doesn't work, I think it, it makes you look a little bit better. Probably true in every field. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. So the next question I have is, again, we're on this phase. We said someone who definitely wants to do surgery, someone who's into surgery, into colorectal surgery. What if you're not sure? What if you're deciding between maybe surgery and internal medicine or surgery in another field? How would you advise medical students, maybe specifically third-year medical students, to kind of really decide if surgery should be the thing they do? So one of the things I tell students when they rotate and just before they're about to leave and they're not sure, I say, when you go on your next rotation about a couple of weeks out, just kind of see how you're feeling. Is something bothering you? Is something missing? And think about it. Are you missing being in the OR? Did you catch the bug? And if you caught the bug, then that's the answer for mm. you. But you have to kind of identify the different, different lifestyles and maybe work styles that you have. Um, you know, in medicine, it's a little bit cliche, but for like for internal medicine or family medicine, you know, you're making rounds, you know, over and over again, and and you have to enjoy that aspect of it. Um, now, there's specialties in, in medicine where you do have more technical aspects to it. So that's like surgery in a sense, but it's not in the operating room. Mm -hmm. And if, if you caught the bug and you just love the OR, then you know. Yeah. So then for the other students, I think we just talked about how to excel. What if you're not sure? The students who are sure for surgery. And I know you've advised many students on this. Say I'm a third year. It could be even first year, right? Like kind of like you. I knew They knew surgery. They know surgery is a thing. How can they best prepare to apply for match? How can they become the most competitive medical students to match into their desired surgical school or wherever they want to go? So I think it's good that you find one, two, three mentors, people that you kind of click with a little bit and that they don't necessarily have to be the field you're going into, but something that you find interesting. Hook up with them, meet with them a few times. If you can do some kind of project, find out if they have any ongoing projects that you can join in. Or if you have an idea, go to them and see if there's a project you can do. I mean, if you're, if you're a superstar and you get to some papers out, that's impressive. I mean, that's something to add on to your, your CV and something mm -hmm. to talk about. I think that's important. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. And, and sorry, you said research, research is pretty important then, right? Or I, It is. I yeah. mean, it, it is whether or not you want a research career. Mm. It just shows that you, you're very well-rounded and that you're inquisitive in a sense and you want to look at some problem and try to solve it. Yeah. How have you seen uh, colorectal surgery change throughout your career? Well, it's changed, it's changed drastically. Yeah. When I started out, we were not doing any laparoscopic procedures. Mm. So, in fact, I've never done a laparoscopic gallbladder because wow. it came out after my training. In fact, during my fellowship, the person I trained with was very involved in uh, endoscopic societies. He went over to France and saw them doing laparoscopic gallbladders. He came back and told us this, and we all laughed at him. <laughs> we thought that <laughs> Who's was laughing real. now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We thought that was very funny, but it's it wasn't funny. Wow. Um, so we actually had to learn and 
teach ourselves how to do laparoscopic surgery. And now similarly with robotic surgery, it's an, yet another advance that, you know, you can take courses and stuff, but, uh, you know, some of it's just kind of learning how to do it uh, on the fly. Do you think the future of colorectal surgery is all robotic? Not everything's going to be everything. robotic, but it'll be more and more robotic. Yeah. I, for me, for colorectal surgery, robotics is, there's an advantage for robotics in the pelvis. Yeah. I don't think it's necessary in the abdomen for most cases. Yeah. Laparoscopically, you can do most cases that way. Um I think an issue is going to come up is as people become more and more dependent on laparoscopy and robotic surgery, when you have to go open, because there's sometimes you just have to go open, they're going to be less skilled because they've done fewer of those cases, and my generation that's done a lot of those cases will be gone. Yeah, yeah. So there's going to be one day there's going to be hospital for open surgery. <laughs> you think they'll be transferred out? Yes. Wow. To go to those hospitals where the people have trained, you'll do a fellowship in open fellowship. surgery. That's a really interesting <laughs> point of view. Oh, oh, and just to be clear, open surgery is when you completely open the abdomen, right? You make a big cut, and you're using just your hands and you know, regular clamps and stuff. You're not doing anything uh, with a camera. Yeah, and laparoscopic are little cameras, and robots are, again, little cameras, but controlled by a robot. Is that a way to say it? Uh, yeah, robotic-assisted Procedure, yes. Robotic assisted yeah. procedure. That's a, that's the fancy way. Do you see any other changes going forward in colorectal surgery? Like maybe Well, we're making advances in rectal cancer. Okay. And we're getting better with our preoperative treatment. So more patients are responding to this treatment. Um, when you treat a rectal cancer now with chemotherapy and radiation, twenty five percent of them will melt away. Mm-hmm. And we do what's called a watch and wait, which is just watching those patients very closely mm. to make sure they don't get a recurrence and you're not having to operate on them. Wow. So I think more and more of that is going to happen as time goes by. Wow. So let's step away from the clinical side and let's talk about lifestyle. Let's talk about living as a surgeon because it's okay. tough. I mean, living as a, going through medicine, going, being in the healthcare field in general, I think is not the easiest life to have really right. in general. Have you ever felt burnt out ever? Yeah, sure. You have. Yeah. When in that in your career did you feel like that? I mean, it's come at different times. Yeah. It's, it's usually a kind of a fatigue factor. You're mm -hmm. just extra tired, and probably I've gone too long without a vacation, mm -hmm. um, and didn't realize it, didn't plan it well. You know, you need time off. You need time to get away. And I I recommend this to all my students and residents. You have to find the things that um, excite you and away from medicine. And they can change throughout your life, but you need something and you have to spend time doing that. Um, because number one, it's good for you and it makes you happier. But then if your mental state is healthier, you have more to bring to the table for your patients. Mm. So it's somewhat selfish, but it's also important for your career. No, it's a huge point. What, and if you don't mind sharing, what did you do specifically or what do you do specifically to get out of it? So, okay, so the first thing is family for yeah. me. It's been so important. I've been happily married for 43 years. Congratulations. Thank you. So I have a wonderful wife. Uh -huh. I have two great children and I have five wonderful grandchildren. They all live nearby me, so I'm very lucky with that. Um, about 25 years ago, I wasn't feeling great. I was having a lot of reflux. Nothing was helping me. I said, I have to do something different. I took a yoga course with 50 other people in the room. 
I said, this is fantastic. And I've kept with it now. For, really? Mm -hmm. How often? Every week? I do it once a week. I have my own instructor now. We've done it for so long that when the pandemic started, we just started doing it on the phone. And we, we've continued that way. You have your own yoga instructor? Yeah, for an hour a week. Wow. And is it a vinyasa practice? Is it a it's, power yoga? It's not power. Yeah. No, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the type of yoga we do is called Hatha Yoga. Hatha. And it's a combination of breathing, relaxation, some aerobic exercise. It's all mixed together, but it's, uh, it's fantastic. And the reflux went away after you did this? It helped. Wow. Certainly. Do you think it was stress and things like that? Yeah, this? I think that's part of it, definitely. Wow. Um, I do that. I have three dogs that are, you know, great at relieving uh -huh. stress. I have a very small pond in my backyard that I... Take care of the fish in there, so that's fun. Dogs don't eat the fish or anything? They're gated away. <laughs> good, they don't jump over the gate? No, no. no. That's good. And sculpting, where mm. did you, did you learn to sculpt? <clears throat> I didn't really learn to sculpt, but uh, it brings up a great story. Yes. Um, when I was in medical school, there was a professor there, Joe Wilder, and he took care of, um, it was a Broadway star at that time named Zero Mostel. In fact, Zero Mostel... He was the first um, Tevya on, in Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway. Mm -hmm. And he also was in the original movie, The Producers. You guys probably know more modern producers, <laughs> but he was in the original one. And so Zero Mostel had diabetes and he had a bad foot and he was almost going to lose his foot. So Joe Wilder said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to nurse you through this. And he got him through it. Zero Mostel comes to his office and says, I'm, I'm going to pay you back, doctor. He said, you don't have to pay me back. This is, this is what I do. It's my profession. I'm going to pay you back. You're going to come down to my studio in Greenwich Village, and I'm going to teach you how to paint. And he taught Joe Wilder how to paint. And in fact, he was so good, he had his artwork on the cover of JAMA four times. What? Yeah. That's insane. So I've still been waiting for the patient the to come to my office and say, Dr. Eisenberg, Thank you. You cured me of colon cancer. Come to my studio. I'm going to teach you how to sculpt. <laughs> and I'm running out of time. <laughs> is that who would you... You'd, who, is there any dream person to come to the studio or a dream profession? Is it sculpting? Well, yeah, I want Bernini from the 1500s yes. to come back and to say, Eisenberg, come to my studio and be my apprentice. What was it? Would, would he have a foot thing? What do you think would be his issue? I don't even know. It would be a colorectal problem. It'd be colorectal. Maybe he's got some really bad hemorrhoids. It could be, and we could sculpt them. We could sculpt. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't like you in the beginning, though. I remember what I, <laughs> I remember one of the th one of the things I always so spending time in the clinic with you guys. The one thing you'd always tell the patients is when they're going to get their hemorrhoids off, you're not going to like me. We're going to like And you know our motto. <laughs> What's the we're going to get you in the end. <laughs> we're going to get you in the end. Oh, it's so oh, it's so fun. It was so funny. But I did learn. I, I, it's funny, actually, because I was speaking to, um, and this is a question I have for you, again, off the books. What, how do you compare the importance of the clinic versus the OR? Do you think one is more important than the other? Or do you think they're equal? I mean, for a surgeon, the OR is, you know, that's the prime place. Yeah. And you have to be skilled and knowledgeable. So that's really the prime, prime place. But I mean, the clinic, so many decisions are made in the clinic now. I mean, the old days, honestly, we would admit people to the hospital for a week before an operation, wow. do their whole workup in the hospital. That doesn't happen anymore. Everything is as an outpatient. So you have to make a lot of decisions in the office. 
plant things there. So the office is very important. And for me, I'm a little bit, I think, different than some surgeons. That I actually like the office. I like seeing the patients there, and I do like building the rapport with the patients over the years. That That's important for me in my career. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice to upcoming, say it's their, an, a colorectal surgeon, they've done their fellowship, and it's their first, second, third year as a colorectal attending. Do you have any advice for these new attendings? Hone your skill. Learn to, to talk to your referring docs. It's important. Again, yeah. you have more time at that point to do that. And get to know your patients. And to step back even further, do you have any advice in general for people entering a career of medicine? I think you have to have your eyes open and really want it for the right reasons. Uh, Times have changed, and while we are very comfortable uh, economically, um, I think that will change over time. There will be less money available uh, to pay you. Mm -hmm. Um, So you got to make sure that you're doing it for the right reason and that you... You, know, you remember that initial sense that you had to to desire to help people take care of them and don't lose that over time. How can you make that decision? Is it just you have you keep that feeling inside of you? It's because it's a tough thing, right? If especially there's sunk cost bias as well. Say you're you know halfway through general surgery residency, which is a long residency, and the feeling's not there. How do you know it's just not a blip? And it's going to come back as opposed to, you know what, maybe I should really rethink my entire life, my entire career. Well, all I can tell you is that um, I guess midway through my career, I started as an academic surgeon. I started saying, you know, what have you done? <laughs> you're, 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 you've reached the top of your earning power. You're never going to earn more. Um, and, and that's okay. Again, it's a very comfortable lifestyle, but it's not like my teachers had. You know, they had a second home. They had paid off their mortgage. Wow. You know, and that wasn't the case for me. So instead of becoming frustrated with it, I decided I was very philosophical about it. And I said, okay, I have to go back to the basics. And when patients would thank me, I paused. And I didn't just walk out of the room, you know, wave to them and say, okay, yeah, you're welcome. No. I paused and I talked to them a little bit more. And then... um I left the room and I paused again and I let it absorb into me and that, that had to sustain me and I realized that's why I became a doctor and you, that, you have to hold on to that. That's great. Do you have any other tricks? Oh, that's it. That's the trick. That's the one trick. Oh, I want to steal as many tricks as possible. That's what I'm trying to do. Have you made any mistakes throughout your career of medicine? And this could be anything. This could be lifestyle. This could be career things you've done in your career. This could be um, health. This could be anything. I mean, I don't think I've made any major mistakes in mm. terms of what I've done. Um, I think probably just in general for me, it's more of a personality thing where I'm too serious. Mm-hmm. You are? Really? I'm, I'm too serious. You think? Yeah. I, I'm too serious. On yourself? On others? Both. Both. Yeah. I mean, I can joke around and stuff, but yeah. I'm just, I'm, in general, I'm a serious person and I think I should have just been a little bit Happier? Just like letting things kind of roll off your shoulder yeah. a little bit yeah. kind of thing? Yeah, I hold on to it. I see. So I think that's hard to do. Yeah. No, that's that's interesting. It's tough, though, you know, especially in the field you're in. Yeah, it's a serious business. Yeah, yeah. It's a good question, actually. I wonder where on the scale is the perfect number. If you think 
too jokey because I don't want my doc. It's a thing you think about actually. If you're go- especially if you're going into the OR, because if for those who have never, many people have never been in the OR, maybe even the hospital, many have never been a patient in the OR. Even as a medical student watching, I always am looking at this patient like thinking, "This is crazy." There's nine people around you. You're on a bed that's really not that comfortable. It's yeah. really not that comfortable. You're getting strapped in. Your arms might be out in different directions. They're asking to move you. You're completely naked, keep in mind, the whole time under this. And the, it's uh, The patient, not the surgeon. The, the, hopefully. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the medical student is complete. No. <laughs> but it's... Uh, it's I wonder, what do I want my, my surgeon to be joking with me? Do I want to be like, you know, but listen, we've done through this training. I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I think, and part of that's the art of medicine. Yeah. Learning your patient's personality and just finding out at what point you can be a little bit lighter, joke around a little bit, yeah. or where you have to be more serious. It's that emotional intelligence, that bedside manner that really, we're not taught. I think it's just no. experience. It's, you know, it's part of your upbringing, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. That's huge. It's all these things, all these things, you can't teach it either, really. How could you teach this? You can't teach it. As other than being a parent, a good parent, right? I think that's a big start. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So to back up even more, books. Do you have any books that have had a great influence on your life, or you just recommend other people read? Yeah, I have three books: um, "Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth" by Chris Hadfield. I'm going to write these down. Um, this is a book by an, an astronaut. Actually, he's a Canadian astronaut. Yeah. who worked with NASA. And um, he wrote a book about things that happened to them in, in space and how you could apply their reactions to that on Earth. Wow. And the main thing I learned from that was that he said they weren't worried that there's space debris coming at them all the time. He said they were aware of it. So they were planners. There's a difference between worriers and planners. And that helped me a lot because I thought I was always a worrier, but it wasn't that I was always worrying. I was planning. Mm. I'm just a, by nature, I'm a planner. And as a surgeon, you're often planning a few steps ahead so that you can face anything. And I kind of use that in life too. So I, it was a good book to kind of explain that to me. That makes sense. Yeah. Next book, Book of Joy. Book of Joy. It's by, uh, it's a, discussion really between the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu and it talks about joy in life and it's really it's a phenomenal book it's really a how great, do you get joy you have to find it you find for yourself it. but there oh, dang it I can't you just, think I have like an easy answer I want the meaning of life Dr. Eisenberg just I that's what I really want colorectal surgery colorectal <laughs> surgery okay that's on the net no uh, <laughs> um the last book is um when bad things happen to good people Mm. It's by Rabbi Harold Kushner. And it was a book that he wrote after one of his children died uh, because they had a disease, I don't remember the name of it, where you age very rapidly. And it was just, it's kind of uh, being very philosophical about, about that. And he was a rabbi, so it was, you know, an about God. Um, and uh, it's just an important book, especially for people that are going through a, a difficult time. Mm. So Can you give us the, any secret answers here too? Is it uh, enjoy the time you've had with them kind of thing or is it different? Yeah, and for me, the revelation was is that now we're getting far off of colorectal surgery. Yes, no, it's good. We always 
tend to blame God. Like, how could God have done that? Uh -huh. How could he have made that person so sick or that young person have a cancer or die? How is that? Like, that's not a just God. But the point is, is that God was, isn't here doing things to us. God is here to help you through those difficult times. Mm. And it seems very simple when you when you when I say it like that, but many of us for many years have blamed God for all these things and it's just that's not the way it works. Mm. God's here to help you through them. Do you think you've had a uh, a change and do you think you've become more positive as you've got gone through your career and maybe even gotten older as opposed to being more negative? Yeah, I yeah. think so. And do you think is that a is it a is it a thing you have to work on? Is it something that you just get as you kind of get older and see more things, or how does it? How did you become more positive? Yeah, I think as you get older and you work through problems and you see you can work through most problems yeah. that you can become more positive. It's nice. It's a personality thing, though, yeah. probably because maybe your personality won't allow you to do that. Mm. I think part of it is a philosophical background that I have, going back to being a Brandeis and. Uh, kind of minoring in philosophy there. That was part of it. And and the the motto at Brandeis is uh, truth even unto its innermost parts. Mm. And that's kind of been a something for me to for my whole life that I've held on to. Truth even unto its innermost parts. So truth is to be foremost in your mind everything you do. That's interesting. It's almost stoic in a sense. It, it is phenomenal. Definitely. That's cool. So if you were talking to your 18-year-old self, would you give... Jerry, any advice? Have more fun. Have more fun. I mean, you know, it's hard when you talk to, to medical students or residents. You know, they've worked really hard to get there. And I would have said, like, especially in college, you know, I was so worried I wasn't going to get into medical school that I worked all the time. And I sh now I regret that a little bit, but it got me where I had to go. But I wish I enjoyed myself a little bit more. Enjoyed yourself. Yeah. So we're getting near the end here. I have two final questions for you, and then we can talk about anything. Okay. Um, so closing words around colorectal surgery. Any general closing words towards people, medical students, uh, pre-med students that might be interested in colorectal surgery? So I think first you have to decide that you're interested in surgery, yeah. you know, and go into your surgical residency, and then you see if, like, if that's a good fit for you. Yeah. You know, I think we've talked about the, the main points of it, you know, that you have very, very types of, of surgeries from little to big to endoscopic to good office hours and clinic practice. So I think you just have to see if that's the fit. Um, see if the personalities of the people with you kind of are your type of people that you want to be with. Colorectal surgeons, I think, in general are are known for being really nice. Um, there are only 2,000 of us in the country in the wow. United States, 2,000 board-certified colorectal surgeons. That's not wow. a lot. But I can call up any one of them wow. and say, I have this problem. And in fact, early in my career, if we have time. No, we have tons of time. I was actually, I had practiced in Long Beach, California for three years early in my career. I had a very difficult case. I called up the head of colorectal surgery at the Cleveland Clinic and his name was Vic Fazio. I said, I called his office. His secretary said, Dr. Eisberg, hold on, we're putting you through to the OR. I was like, oh my God, they're putting me through to Dr. Fazio, not just to Dr. Fazio, but in the OR. 
because he was a very busy surgeon. And you were very nervous at this point. I was very nervous. <laughs> and I explained to him who I was, where I trained. I had met him a couple of times. I said, I have a difficult case. He said, Jerry, call me Vic. I was like, God just said I could call him by his first name. How, how is that possible? And as a teaching point, he actually told me something really good. It was a young gentleman who had Crohn's disease, and I had to take out his rectum, and I couldn't get his bottom to heal. And he said, um, you're going to take a split-thickness skin graft, a meshed split-thickness skin graft. You're going to put it on the wound. Half of it's going to fail, half of it's going to take. But the half that takes is then going to fill in. And that's exactly what happened. But, you know, all my plastic surgeons there didn't want to help do that just because they said it's Crohn's disease, it's going to fistulize through, they don't want to put a flap there or anything. But that worked. And, but it was great, you know, that's the majority of colorectal surgeons. You can call anyone in the country, they're going to help you out. Wow. And that's, that's a great brotherhood. Do you think it's because it's so few of you, right, comparatively? So few of us, and it's just the way it's been passed on from generation to generation. That's, that's just what we're like. That's nice to hear that collaborative nature. It sounds cool. You okay. bet. And then generally, any closing words in general? This could be anything. This could be how to get your dogs to not eat the fish out of your pond. This could be, you know, how to become the best book chooser in the world. It sounds like you've chosen some good books. Anything at all. I think that everyone should write in to Zach <laughs> and tell him that he's made a poor career choice, that he should go into radio and TV and give up this medicine stuff. You, th you think I should give up? Just get out while you really? still can. Really? Wow. You should do this. It's you're, you're so natural at doing this. This is <laughs> this is this is it. This is your career. It's your calling. Thank or maybe you. we'll see you're going to be like on on NBC News. You're going to be the guy that they go to. And now the medical correspondent. I don't know if I want to be that guy, that Doctor Oz kind of guy in the on the. Well, wait. Well, you Let's know, not get crazy. <laughs> I'm not going to be senator or something. You know, no. Yeah. How do I make this decision? How do I? Because I like this, but I also really, really like medicine. You'll know. You'll find. Yeah. The light will go on at some point. Yeah. Hopefully, earlier than later. Yeah. But you know, even when you go into your specialties in in medicine, yeah. any field in medicine, um, twenty percent of people change their minds early in their in their residency. Wow. And it's okay to do that. You, you don't have. You know, it's better to change and get into a field that you're interested in because i mean truth be told in medical school you get a you know a taste of some things you don't mm -hmm. get a taste of everything and you, you're allowed to make the wrong choice and nothing that you learn is wasted you're going to gather something from everything that you learn and use it later on at some point in your career mm. i gotta think i think i'm still doing residency for now okay <laughs> But when I become a video, what what should I do? Should I do this? Should I do just TV, radio? I I can't tell you that. <laughs> I want the answers. I want the meaning of life. <laughs> I want to know, you know, what's the best food to cook all the time. I want to know if I should drink water or soda. I, I want to know all these answers. It's going to cost you more than that hundred million. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that. That's all I got. So as the final question, the probably the most important question of the entire interview, Dr. Eisenberg, um, why do you like Dua Lipa so much, and why do you listen to her in the OR? <laughs> <laughs> She's fun. She has fun music. I like her. That's all. Everyone likes her. It's a good... I don't know anyone that doesn't like her. I like her, too. 
Good. Great way to end, Dr. Eisenberg. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming. I think this has been really helpful, not only to people who are interested in colorectal surgery. I think we've given them a good rundown of what you need to look at uh, and how you need to make yourself more competitive if you want to go general surgery and the fellowship, but also some general good, honestly, lifestyle advice, too, I think. So, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. I. Awesome.